Hey everyone, this is Mike Joseph, and I just wanted to say that I hope you enjoy the episode you're about to listen to. If you do, I kindly ask that you tell a friend about Detoxicity. Even better, please rate, comment, and subscribe on whichever platform you're using to listen. I'm always on the hunt for new and interesting guests, and I like keeping in touch with those of you who listen. So, if you have a recommendation for a guest, or if you just want to know what I do day-to-day, follow me on Twitter at TizMikeJoseph, or on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy, or both. You can even email me at DetoxPod at gmail.com. On a less self-promotional tack, I really hope that you and yours are keeping yourselves and others safe during this pandemic, and even if you listen to this after the pandemic is over, there is no greater quality, in my opinion, than people who are empathetic and kind to others. Hell, it's a big reason I do this podcast in the first place. Enjoy the show, and be well. One of the consequences of quarantine is that I got deep into watching stand-up comedy specials on YouTube, and that's how I was introduced to Joe Kozala. Joe is perhaps best known for his 2019 Comedy Central special and the somewhat ridiculous feat of releasing 31 separate shorts on YouTube in one day. In addition to writing and performing comedy, Joe also co-hosts a podcast about a topic very near and dear to my heart called Who Cares About the Rock Hall? You should check it out. It's just a fun podcast and you get some really interesting people. Joe and I connected over Zoom on what was a very loud afternoon in New York City, which will explain the background noise. Want to know what happened when Joe told his parents he wanted to be a professional comedian? You'll hear it here. Want to know the most egregious pronunciation of his last name? You'll find it here. Want to know how Joe feels about self-promotion? What he's learned in his latest relationship? And how he and I bonded over our love of a certain band from New Zealand? It's all here. Check out our conversation. Uh, Hi, my name is Joe Kozala. I am a stand-up comedian and writer living in Los Angeles. I recently had a half-hour special on Comedy Central, and also I release videos on the internet quite a bit, so maybe you know about me, but most likely you don't. Hello. <laughs> is, it, is it in every comedian's disposition to be like self-deprecating? I, I should hope so, but a, a surprising and disappointingly large number of comedians are not, and I think that's a problem. <laughs> really? I think so. I, I was kind of thinking about this also just in terms of like, the idea of masculinity as well. Like, to me, I think comedians are at their best when they are vulnerable. But I also think that there is a section of comedians who want to be cool and do comedy to be cool or to be like hot or like, you know, to get chicks or whatever. I do think there is, you will see that with certain comedians where they, they're they're not very deprecating because they don't want to break the facade. They don't want to show any type of sensitivity or vulnerability. Like I don't know if you've <laughs> if you have paid attention to what Adam Carolla Oh uh, god. Yes. has been talking about recently. <laughs> I mean, he's been talking about it for his entire career, but he's like obsessed with like, you know, whatever happened to to men and uh pussies wear masks and like this guy's allegedly a comedian but i never see any vulnerability from him and that might be why i do not ever feel like i relate to that guy yeah i don't think of him as a comedian i think of him as like the host of the man show right uh which i don't know to me wasn't particularly funny um it was on comedy central though it was on you are correct it was on comedy central i i don't know i mean most of the comedians that i like and that I am a fan of are people who are who are vulnerable and are willing to kind of take the piss out of themselves a little bit more than normal. Like the whole like Dane Cook kind of bro culture comic thing doesn't really like make sense to me. Yeah, that doesn't resonate with me either. But uh, it definitely exists though, and it's very popular. You know, and th- there's a whole like school of of comedians that. Kind of, you know, in LA, they kind of come out of the comedy store. And then I would say like in New York, maybe it's a little bit like the seller, but of this like uh, alpha male comedy that is, I, I have no interest in. Yeah, that's, that's not my jam at all. There are a million questions I want to ask. Some of sure. them might relate to masculinity. Some of them might not. First of all, it's really nice to meet someone whose last name is more difficult to pronounce than my actual <laughs> last name. So I thank you, Joe. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know how to pronounce your last name. It is pronounced Heiliger. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. think that's probably, that would have been within the first two or three guesses. Really? Okay. I that makes so. me feel good because it isn't usually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like when, it, when we have an actual word in your name, like 
hey, you yeah. want to say hey, you know, because you're used to seeing it. So I, I, the, there is a bit, I believe it's in your Comedy Central special, or it might be just one of your stand-up routines that ended up on YouTube, where you talk about all of the mispronunciations of your last name. Yes, that's true. I, I, I did that as a, like, it was almost like a supplemental video for Comedy Central, where I was just talking about being a comedian, you know, and someone whose name has to be pronounced before I get on stage, right? That's like part of the job is that I need to have not just someone else say my name, but a comedian and comedians uh, don't know how to read. (laughs) (laughs) And in general, I do think comedians, uh, you know, sometimes often very insightful, but maybe not the best at uh, words. I mean, to be fair, there's a lot of consonants there. No, and yeah, and I will fully take responsibility that it is not uh, a breeze to try and figure <laughs> out. <laughs> some of the some of the fuck ups have been egregious. How what what is the most egregious fuck up that you can think of off the top of your head? Well, usually it's it, it's like jumbling the letters where it makes me worry about the person's ability to like you know the old like elementary like sound it out from yeah. from left to right. And when someone's like Kazawaza, and it's like okay, you you need to slow down, you need to take a breath, you start from the beginning, and we'll just take it letter by letter. But the, the worst was, and I talk about it in, in that video, was um, somebody just panicked and called me Anthony Guizermo. Right. Yes, I remember that. Which, which was a completely, I mean, like, I didn't know my name could instill the type of fear that would make someone forget everything about reality. Yeah, that is in <laughs> Adele Dezim size. Uh, yes, up there. very much so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what brought you into comedy? Like, what, what made you decide that you wanted to pursue this as a profession? Yeah, so I... I kind of had always wanted to, but it, I grew up in Pittsburgh in, in a family that has no connection to creativity, let alone the entertainment world. So like, I just didn't think that it was a feasibility, even though, you know, you have those dreams as a kid, but it, it almost felt like the type of dreams you have where you want to be an astronaut, right? Like it's, you can have that dream, but how realistic really right. is it? And seeing stand-up comedians on TV, I was always fascinated, but I also, it felt like such a magic trick and I, and I didn't think that I could ever be able to do it. But eventually, you know, I would write jokes and I would like hide them under my mattress and stuff, like as my shame. Uh, but you don't know how real it, it can be or how feasible it is to achieve. But it wasn't until I was in college and there was like a student stand-up night where I got the confidence where I was like, well, if all the comedians are going to be other students, then I can do this. That, and then I got the confidence. It was a positive experience. And then I, you know, it was kind of off to the races at that point. And was there ever any like stage fright? Like, oh shit, I'm about to like jump in front of all these people and like crack jokes. Or did you Mm. just jump into it like, ah, fuck it. I mean, I kind of jumped into it because I, no, you know, I was so enthusiastic about doing stand-up and was so, uh, like, excited to do it that, that I think that kind of was overriding any nerves that could have happened for me in the beginning. I would definitely rehearse. Like, I would, I, in my dorm, I would, like, find one of, like, the study lounges that nobody used, and I would just, like, say my jokes out loud and, like, edit it as I was saying it and just make sure I had it down pat before I got up there, which was also, I think, that helped my confidence because I, I knew I knew it. That's the thing I, I wonder about because, like, I've only gotten accustomed to speaking in public maybe over the last five or six years. Like, I was mm-hmm. 35, 36 before I was like, okay, I can stand in front of a group of people and not want to, like, shit on myself when I yeah. speak to them. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I think my default is just to assume that everybody has, like, knots in their stomach when they go to speak in front of people yeah i mean like i have the i have the sickness that uh makes me need uh, attention (laughs) like you always like that yeah i definitely remember like at a at a young age like if i forget what even what the circumstances was but like a one of the kids and we were young we were maybe like six or five or something got up to like read something in front of the class or like was the was the chosen volunteer to wh- whatever i just remember being like let me get up there i want to be up there 
which, which is very, it was almost like the comics mentality that was in my brain back then. But uh, yeah, for better or worse, you could consider that to be the origin story of a comedian or, or something really uh, devastatingly sad. About the, <laughs> about no, I, I have but, a lot of respect for that. I, to this day, I have to psych myself up. Yeah. So the fact that that is someone's default, that they're like, cool, let's do this. I'm just yeah. like, how does that even happen? Yeah, and again, it, it was so early that it's like, and I, I also was not necessarily like neglected as a child. So it's not even like me trying to compensate for not getting attention at home or anything. I, d I don't know really what it is. I think it's just kind of wired in me. Right on. So let's let's backtrack a little and talk about Pittsburgh. Just because oh, sure. it's a... I've been to Pittsburgh a number of times. I have some really good friends that live in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. And it's this really interesting, like, split point between, like, the Midwest and the Northeast. Yeah, it really is. Because it's not, I mean, it is so close to Ohio because it's right there on the western border of Pennsylvania. But it does not, to me, feel like the Midwest at all. And I think once you cross over into Ohio, it, it's, it just feels very different. Also, physically is very different because suddenly it gets very flat. And suddenly, for whatever reason, like once you get in Ohio, like because Pittsburgh is extremely hilly. There's hills everywhere. Um, but then you get to Ohio and it just, it suddenly is, you're in the Midwest. It, it feel, it's a very different feel and look. But there's also a weird thing because like to get, if you're going from Pittsburgh, going due west to get into Ohio, you will pass through West Virginia. Because the little like, the little like handle on West Virginia that like there's like a little thing that like juts up and it like come it like splits for a little bit in between Ohio and Pennsylvania and it's huh. and it lines up with with Pittsburgh so there's like a weird connection to the south as well but then also obviously all of Pennsylvania is like the kind of mid-Atlantic right the New York uh, New Jersey Maryland Delaware Pennsylvania kind of that whole thing which is right. Own thing, which is not quite the the northeast, but it's it's still east coast. And like Pittsburgh, you could maybe argue is an east coast city, even though it's like the entire length of Pennsylvania away from the actual east coast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I guess the things that I've realized in the ten years or so since I've been going to Pittsburgh on a regular basis is just that a Pennsylvania is fucking huge. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just, it, it is weird because I lived in the Midwest for a couple of years as a kid and Pennsylvania definitely has that, like, one story I'll tell is uh, I was, you know, we were going to like get lunch or something like that, just kind of like hang out downtown and, um, you know, there's traffic and I'm t asking my buddies like, what's up? And they're like, oh, everybody's going to the Tim McGraw concert. And I was just like, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I and I think I that's the West Virginia coming up. Uh, I think, yeah. You prepped for that. Good. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so, and now you live in LA, which is a hell of a lot different from Pittsburgh. Yeah, right. The and the progression was uh, Pittsburgh to Chicago to LA. So ah. Was, you know, there was a there was a stop along the way for about five years. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and I assume both uh, moves were work-related. Yeah, it was more, you know, I went to school in Indiana. And then when I was done with school, I was already in the Midwest. And I it, Chicago was so convenient. So, and the comedy scene was strong there. So it was like, I want to do comedy there. And I'm going to do it for there for, you know, I ended up staying five years. Because there's kind of a thing in, I think, in the kind of mid-tier comedy scenes and by that I mean not New York and LA which uh, you, you get to a certain point where if you're serious about it you do need to make a move to one or the other okay and yeah I, I just picked Los Angeles I already had some friends out here and also I had endured many winters in my life so LA seemed like the right, right they seemed like the right move and so, you know, and I, I went to both Chicago and LA actually not with anything in particular other than to, you know, pursue comedy generally. When you're going home and you're like, okay, family and friends, I want to be a comedian. What were they like? Yeah. 
Um, I, I'm lucky to say that they were pretty, pretty supportive. Um, when I, I remember telling my mom that I had done stand-up or that I was going to do stand-up for the first time in college. And she did think, like, I remember her saying something along the lines of, like, this isn't something that, like, you're only, you're only going to focus on this now. And I was like, uh... Oh, no. <laughs> like it. We'll see. Don't worry about it. Uh, but I, I think there's a, there's a degree of concern, but I don't think it really lasted that long. I think once they saw me do stand-up, and they... And, I'll say they saw me do stand up when I was like pretty bad, um, but they seemed to be they seemed to be okay with it. They seemed to, and you know maybe if after a period of time there had been no no progress, uh, they maybe would have questioned it. But I, you know to their credit, they really let me you know without any judgment d- pursue this, and you know they they love coming to shows still i mean like now like the shows are better but (laughs) uh even back then they liked coming to shows and in pittsburgh i would you know sometimes the shows would not be very good uh especially when i was younger so i would discourage them but they always really wanted to go and you know when when i started they were cool and they continue to be cool i just picture the average parent be like you're you're gonna do what yeah like for real Especially like parents that have no connection to that type of world whatsoever. But yeah, I mean, they, they were very cool and I'm, I'm very thankful to, to have that and have had that. And, you know, they were at my uh, half hour uh, special taping and I made sure to publicly thank them on stage because like that's, that's rare and they, they've been, they've just been really cool. Was the taping in Pittsburgh? The taping was in New Orleans. Oh, that's wow. Where, yeah, that's where Comedy Central chose to do the uh, all the half hours that year. Ah, see, I didn't do that. I had a little inside baseball. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was very, very fun. I don't know if you've been to New Orleans, but it's like a, it's like a theme park city. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, are they just trying to get everybody fucked up so that... Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I mean, like, it's a combination of, like... Uh, I think give the performers like a fun city to be in and to make the the like weekend really special. And then it's also like for the Comedy Central people, like why don't we, you know, give ourselves a little fun vacation? Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you have to deal with getting heckled a lot? I would say no, but I did get heckled during my taping. Really? So somebody just came in to troll you? I mean, I, I don't think they came to troll me, but I, I do think the fact that I, it was a late show on a Thursday and it was in New Orleans and there was a bar attached to the venue. Ah. I think, you know, obviously alcohol loosens people up. And I would say usually heckling is not necessary. It's not someone yelling, you suck. Sometimes it is. But often, and, and every comic will tell you this, it's someone who just like is so drunk they don't know that they're talking out loud. And often it's like positive, but they're, they're just like, they're in a state mentally and physically that like they are interrupting shit because they're drunk off their ass. So the person who heckled me, and this was expertly cut out of the final uh, special, right? In a way that you can't, you can't tell at all that there was editing trickery. Um, but I was just doing a, I was doing my first joke and it's a joke where like, I, um, I kind of extend something and I, 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 I create a lot of tension. So yeah, I, I'm doing, I was doing a joke where I was like, you know, building tension and, uh, building and building so that I could have a moment of release. Right. And so it's very important that like that's not interrupted because it, it's it, the way it's constructed is to have a very specific like arc and then a drop off and then a laugh, right? Sure. So I'm, I'm building that tension, I'm building it. And then a woman yells, take it off. And it, it had nothing to do with anything I was saying. It didn't have, I just was so out of the blue. 
And I, I, yeah, and it was so, it was loud enough that like I had to address it. I couldn't just like, to pretend like I didn't hear it when like everybody heard it would have been kind of weird. So I stopped and uh, yelled at her. <laughs> and then I like, I, it was weird. I, I felt like I had to tell the audience, like remind the audience, like don't do that. We're taping specials here. And the comic who went before me also had to deal with hecklers, uh, which isn't fun. Uh, heckling is never fun. I think sometimes people do it because they think they can be like a part of the show, and then like the the comedian he'll destroy the heckler, and he'll 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 have some in his back pocket, and it'll be a lot of fun. But every comic will tell you we do not want a heckler ever. We never want that. It's really interesting that the heckler was a woman. I I don't know that I've surprise seen. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's like wow. Well, my God. <laughs> I feel like it's probably yes. usually some guy like you know you suck. You know, it's the same I think as it's like a, yeah. From my from my experience, it's like it's fifty fifty. Oh, interesting. And it's always someone who's just kind of drunk. Just you know, sometimes they're just like verbalizing their thoughts, and you're like, you get yeah. I mean, up. maybe this woman was just like Joe Cusano is hot. Yeah, right. That's the other thing. Was just like, all right, well, like talk to me later. But like right now, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind <laughs> right, of work. yeah, I'm working. In LA, you're kind of, I mean, you're essentially freelancing, right? Like you're just kind of, you know, what is that grind like? Yeah. So, you know, when I moved here, I had no credits. This was like seven years ago. I had no credits to my name. I didn't really know too many people. So it was just about going to open mics, both obviously to work on my material, but really maybe more importantly, it was about being a part of the community, meeting the other comics on some level, like letting people know that I was here and I was working and like, I'm like, you know, hardworking and that also like, I'm not bad at this. Right. (laughs) So because a lot of the, a lot of the kind of independent shows in Los Angeles are run by other comedians. So if you, um, become a part of the community that's how you start to get booked on the shows and then you know, maybe eventually like the the bigger shows and then that's kind of how you make your reputation in town that's how you start your career in Los Angeles right, right so you, you know kind st- of thing yeah you know and like making sure that you're seen right making sure that you're out there who knows who could be watching you you have no idea who could be in the crowd right so that was like, that's like how I would describe the LA scene when I was starting out. And then uh, maybe like not long after I had done my special, then it was fewer open mics and then it started to become road work. Like getting, getting weekend gigs headlining at clubs or venues across the country. I'm, you know, I'm someone who has a nine to five, five days a week gig mm-hmm. And like supplement, well, I mean, I'm not making any money for the podcast and the other shit that I do. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's a quote unquote normal job. You potentially, I mean, when it's not, when we're not in the middle of a national pandemic uh-huh. <laughs> and you're on tour, it's kind of like, you know, it's not a, you know, a sedentary kind of, uh, kind of gig. Being in a different city two, three times a week kind of uh, situation. Like, is yeah, that- and it's it's usually not. I mean, it's usually like you know uh, a different city per weekend. Maybe you know not every weekend of the month. If I can help it, you know, if I, if right. the work is good, then maybe I'll do it. But I do not like traveling that much within one month. You know, I think in January of this year, I was in Vegas, Detroit, New York, DC. And that was like, that was a lot. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're zipping, it's not like short, you're, it's across the country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, exactly. Now that we are where we are, I mean, how has that kind of impacted what you do for a living? I, I mean, it, it has fully changed everything. Uh, you know, I, I, do, I cannot do stand-up anymore. Right. They have... There are some shows on Zoom, uh, which I've done a few, and some have been fun. Some have been confusing. Um, but then, 
you know, and it, that is changing to some extent. Like, I, I, I don't know, uh, trying to figure out how to do this. And I know in New York, they're, they're doing, out, there's a lot of outside shows that are popping up. Yeah. But here, it, it, that has not happened at all. So stand-up really just doesn't exist. Um, again, like some of this Zoom stuff maybe seems like it's sustainable. And I, I, there's some opportunities that I, I've heard of that I, we'll see. But, you know, mostly I've been hanging out. <laughs> there hasn't been writing stuff. I've been trying to write stuff, like work on a script or like work. We're going to try to make some more videos, me and my uh, kind of crew. Uh, we're going to try to figure out how to do that. So I've been writing and, and doing that kind of thing. But otherwise, yeah, it really has been a lot of just going, hmm, Okay. What do I do now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that freaking you out? Or, uh, I mean, are you, no. like, you seem, I can kind of, I can tell, like, you're, you know, you've got kind of the neurotic comedian thing down, but you also mm -hmm. seem pretty, like, L.A. chill. Yeah, I'd like to think that I'm a c calm, collected guy. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's really not, it's not freaking me out that much. I also have never been, there are some comedians who are very much like, I get to get on stage multiple times a night. I got, I'm, like, addictive personality, like, I need to do it all the time. And if I don't do stand-up over, over the course of three days, I'm going to forget how to do it, and I got to go, 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 go. And I've never been that type of comedian. Like, I obviously work hard, and I do stand-up a lot. But also, I don't know, a break like this it's obviously the longest break from stand-up i've ever had but i i welcome it i mean okay. to, to some degree like i don't want it but it's not like it's not fucking me up it's not like messing with my my head um the way you know i have good friends who i we've talked about that and they're like you know i need to i need to do it and you know i, I get that to some extent but that's kind of not that's kind of not me and i have other outlets you know and we're like I'll, i'm gonna be making some videos again soon and that will be I, I, working on that again has been has been nice tell me about the uh the 31 videos thing i'm kind of curious how that yeah. came about. yeah you know it was the genesis of that project kind of came from a lot of different angles which i think was was good because it was uh i had i have a close friend named daniel clark who's a very talented filmmaker who I've done videos with like web series and pilot, like independent pilots and stuff. And we, he's a friend from college and he's very, very talented. And I, he's my favorite collaborator. And we've worked on a lot of stuff over the years and we found ourselves having not worked on anything for about two years. Okay. Just kind of for no re good reason. Um, so that was one of the things where it was like, okay, you and I need to be making stuff again. And also we have to make up for lost time. So let's, let's just dump a bunch of videos all in one day. And, and the reason behind doing a lot in one day was also, you know, you could probably tell like a stunt to some extent because <laughs> it's very difficult to get people to watch your shit online. Right. Like if you make a video and it can be really good and it, it can easily get lost and has nothing necessarily to do with the quality. So we were like, okay, what is something that is kind of has a hook to it that we can do that will raise some eyebrows and get some attention to our work? And it was like, okay, well, what about, and we've never seen this done on like an independent level with sketches, just like released a bunch all in one day. And so that was the idea we were trying to think like how many and it was like oh well i'm i'm turning 31 maybe we'll that we can do that that's like a 31 for 31 it's one more than 30 for 30 and then you <laughs> i know, just got that, that. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so then it was like all right cool i think that's uh i i think that'll work and we spent you know i started writing it at the beginning of 2018 and we started filming in jeez april and we were doing it like on weekends people had jobs and stuff so we were doing it on weekends and when i was in town and when everybody could do it uh 
from April to maybe like July or August. And then we edited right up until we released, which was in November. So it was nearly a, a full year of sporadic hard work to get it done. And ultimately, I'd say it worked. I mean, that's definitely something that, I mean, you got a half hour special, I'm assuming at least partially from that. Nope. As nope. it turns out, nope. I found out I got the special in the middle of production. So I, oh, found wow. out I, I found out I had got, yeah, I had found out that I had booked the special like in July when maybe we were like halfway done through shooting them. So, and nobody knew about the project. So, yeah. Good, good, uh, as they say, synergy. It was, it was like kind of kismet because then there was also the, uh, when I eventually released the videos, then like a few weeks later, they announced that I got the half hour. So it like, it felt like it was building in a, in a cool way. What, uh, what happens and has this happened where you've watched something you've done and you look back and you're like, oh, I could have done that differently or maybe this isn't my best uh -huh. or something like that. That's also, that's another one of the reasons why we did so many was you can't really tell when, some, I, I mean, you, I don't think it's really that easy to tell when something's going to be good or maybe more accurately when something's going to be popular, right? Like, cause I, I can obviously can tell, like, I'm proud of this. I like this, I like the way it turned out, Yeah. but you know, to, to be able to predict when something's going to take off uh or like resonate with people that is a much harder thing to predict so like doing a lot there can be some stinkers in there but nobody's <laughs> going to remember because people remember the ones that are good right and that's that's kind of a a theory that i had come up with accidentally and tested years ago when as like a joke i decided to tweet 300 times in one day good lord wait yeah. there's no like limit on how many times you can tweet in a day I think there is, but like if you, but it's more like a per minute thing. So like if huh. you kind of spread it out, like tweet, you know, once every two minutes or something, you're fine. Yeah. So the, man, that was like, that was probably like six years ago or something. And I was like, I'm going to tweet 300 times in one day and see how many followers I lose. Right. That was kind of the idea, right? Like if I bombard the timeline with all these jokes, but what I, what I realized was I, I gained a lot of followers Oh, because I was putting out, I was just putting out a lot of jokes and like, you know, some weren't great, but some were funny and people liked it. And like the hit ratio was not bad. And it, and it became like a stunt. And that was this, that was my first foray into like stunting with comedy. <laughs> but like people were, people would like link to my thing and be like, you should follow Joe. He's tweeting 300 jokes today. And like, most of them are good follow him and so i would pick up a lot of followers and then i started to do it every year and then it would get bigger and and bigger like i would get more and more followers i think there was one year where i gained like a thousand followers in the space of a day wow. or something and yeah so that, and that was that was my first indication that like you can bombard people with content and it really won't bother them one, because nobody's going to see it and see the whole thing at once. Right. Like, because people just they log on to Twitter and they might see, like, I, I t I've tweeted recently and they're like, oh, okay. And they won't notice that something's happening. You don't have to, you can have like, you can have 10% of something be good. And then like, if you release 300, then you have, that means what? You have 30, 30 things that things. are good. Yeah. And like, that's all ultimately people really care about. So that's, yeah, that, that was like initially when I was testing out and I didn't realize I was testing out a theory. It was like a joke, but like when I realized, Oh, make a stunt that was based on a day. Cause that was also the cool thing of like, it's Joe day. Like you just check in on what I'm doing at any point in the day. And it's kind of fun, but it's also like, it's relatively passive for the audience. You can be like, I'll check in whenever I want. It's not overwhelming. I can just be like, I can, consume what it is i want at the time and then leave it and it's fine but right. it's going all day and that's cool and if i want to catch up later it'll it'll be there still it's not going anywhere yeah it, so it's it's one way to to drum up publicity to yourself uh as i found in in a world where that is increasingly hard to do yeah i mean are you comfortable with promoting yourself i mean i guess no. you have to be no i mean like i'm not but the other thing is like 
if there's a it's like a difference between if i was just uh because the way i do it is like i try to make the content itself the promotion right so i feel much more comfortable about putting my stuff out there and letting that take over than just trying to like tell people like i'm good trust me <laughs> you know watch my shit so yeah so it's like it's a balancing act of uh okay i do need to promote myself that is a part of the business that's a part of the grind and that can be kind of disgusting and not fun to do but if you if you find a way to make the content itself the promotion and let that do the work a lot of the work for you then it's much easier for me to swallow in addition to writing and doing comedy like what else what, what else is on the plate like what else are you doing to kind of a just you know keep the hustle going and b to stay busy yeah um that's a that's a good question i mean and there's there's a lot of ways to answer it and so if, if i don't get to the angle that you're you're going for let me know uh but like you know one thing that i i do just for supplemental income and also because like i don't have uh any gigs coming up you know which is where i was making a, my money like the past year or so i tutor i you know do and for a while it was test prep like sat but uh those don't exist right now <laughs> yeah that makes sense i didn't even think of that right yeah going to, going <laughs> to a room with a bunch of other kids to take a standardized test is not anything anymore not, not very health conscious for the for the time being and it's interesting all the all, all the colleges in America and maybe the, the world are no longer for this upcoming year. It's not a uh, requirement to take the SAT. Oh, wow. Which is like, you know, groundbreaking like that hasn't happened in a while. Maybe a good thing. Standardized tests obviously have their issues, but yeah. So I'm just like helping some kids with their homework. I mean, kids are back at school. So like I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm just helping kids with their homework or like, you know, I have some students where, uh, you know, we Zoom every week and it's like, I've got my note, my notepad and I'm like, let's talk about quadratic equations, baby. Oh, God. Let's do it. And that's the thing is like, I, you know, maybe as surprising is that I, but I, I'm a, I'm a bit of a math guy. Wow. Yeah. I would not have pictured you to be a math nerd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's so funny because like i was very good at math in high school to the point where i i tested out of having to do it in college so i haven't really like since i started or before i started tutoring i had not really done any math in a long time in like 10 years you know but then it was like okay I'll, I, I remember some of it and as i was tutoring sometimes i would be in the process when i start when i first started got back into math tutoring my uh, process would be, we would have the book open. I would be, I'd be teaching them the stuff, uh, the concepts. And as I was teaching them in my head, I was also looking ahead to the next thing, reminding myself what that concept was. And then by the time they were done, like working on their stuff, we would go to the next thing and I would have just taught myself what it was. And then we would talk about that. And it was, it was kind of funny. I don't think Back my brain can do any of that stuff anymore. <laughs> Seriously. Wow. I mean, if you want, if you want a free lesson, let me know. We can, we can factor oh, some stuff. I've, I've, uh, I, you know, <laughs> somebody puts equations and sines and cosines and all that shit in front of me again. I, I like, I might have a stroke. Might shut down. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Fair enough. So but yeah, that's what, you know, that's, that's like kind of my, my, I guess my job again in, in these times. So in addition to the tutoring. <laughs> yes. In addition to the tutoring. What else is there really, Mike? Yeah. You know, and then, you know, the rest of my, my life, I guess, is like, you know, especially in quarantine, it, it's a relatively low key routine of like, I go to my girlfriend's house and, you know, we make dinner and we watch something or, you know, it's, it's very, domestic and uh nice which Sounds you know, it. that's i'm i'm very lucky also to have a very nice woman in my life uh you know and and i'm not fully isolated and you know 
for example, taking my pants off and, and tutoring kids, like a no erratic behavior like that. And I yes. think she's helping to ground me in that regard. <laughs> oh man. And there's also the podcast. Yeah. So in, I, I have a podcast about the rock and roll hall of fame called who cares about the rock hall, which we have been on hiatus for a little, a few weeks, but we, we will be coming back very soon because the annual induction ceremony will be happening in November. So that's kind of around the corner. So we will be, uh, we'll be recording and releasing episodes leading up to that. Now, how did you zero in on the rock and roll hall of fame as a topic to do a podcast about? Uh, it was because I realized I knew so much about it and like, I followed it like sports and no one else does that. Like literally no, like there's some people online who do that, but especially like within my own circles, I felt like, oh, this is, this is actually unique. Like to know this much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is specific to me. And so that feels like a good place to, to start a podcast where it's like, okay, well, I actually feel like somewhat of an authority on this subject in a way that I, I, I can't name too many pe other people who are. And then I also was finding myself talking about it on other people's podcasts and we were like barely scratching the surface because it, it is a good topic for conversation. Like it is, it is one of those things where anytime it's in the news, people feel like they want to weigh in. Oh yeah. People always have opinions about it. And so that also felt like, okay, well this is there, there's a, there's a podcast here because everybody has thoughts about it and i could i could lead that discussion <laughs> i mean did, is that i mean growing up so close to cleveland or yeah and my, like, my dad's from cleveland okay so yeah my, my dad's from cleveland so like that's where my grandparents were and that's like uncles and aunts and cousins and stuff so we would go to cleveland a few times a year and so we would go to the rock and roll hall of fame and i had kind of independently um developed an interest in like classic rock and like music history especially growing up in that era when vh1 did a lot of like 100 greatest lists and Rolling Stone. We love the 70s. We love the 80s. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There, there was all those. sorts of, yeah, I, I, I loved it. And I, I got into that kind of shit, I think, through that programming. And also that was also the, like, golden era of Rolling Stone magazine putting out lists and stuff. Right. So it just happened to be when I was, like, coming of age that there was a lot of media about music history and uh like the the pantheon of who is who are the great artists and so that drew me i think to thinking like that and the rock and roll hall of fame is essentially just like an evolving list of the greatest artists of all time yes and what's yeah. cool about it is it's not like just here's the definitive list like okay next year we're going to induct six more artists yeah. could be anybody and so then the speculation starts and the conversations begin. Well, yeah. And then they throw out the, uh, the nominees and then there's yes. another couple of months until they pick from those nominees to induct the, I think it's four to six or four to seven or however many it is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's usually at least five, but often six, sometimes seven. And so, yeah, that there's so much to talk about when, uh, with that, like predictions and, the history tells us that maybe not this year for this artist, but this artist has been nominated a few times and it may be their turn or like we can look at last year and see what they looked, what it looked like. And could this year look similar or this artist is eligible for the first year, they will definitely get in immediately. There's like so many different things that I, I think it's, and, and also if you just love music, it is a, just a fun different lens to look through and, and talk about music. I love when people can talk about music uh, and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame specifically without like snarling at each other. Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you right. know, with music nerds, it's it's not because, you know, personal taste obviously comes into play and so on. Mm -hmm. And it just I mean, I've done a couple of Hall of Fame related podcasts and they've they've all been good, but there have definitely been conversations that were not as pleasant. Yeah. And, you know, what I try to do 
is, and I think it is that what you have to, if you really want to talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it's almost impossible to think of it objectively, right? But that's what the institution is. You know, it's supposed to be like an objective list, but music is so subjective. So what's fun for me and what I try to, what I try to focus on is how do you stay objective when you talk about an artist's merits in terms of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? You know, and so I've tried to like break it down and have like specific categories and criteria and uh, look at it that way. And because there are artists that suck that I think should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And there are artists that I love that I think shouldn't. Okay, give me an example you know? of an artist you love that uh, should not be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, Crowded House. Wow. So they're like, they're a great band. I mean, I love Crowded House. And I would, I would, in my head, make a case for them being in the Rock yeah. and Roll. Yeah, and I would like to as well. But, you know, I think they have a ton of great songs. And I think Neil Finn is a really incredible songwriter. One of the greatest songwriters of all time. But... Ultimately, I don't think they have the impact, especially, I mean, like, in the one thing that is kind of just assumed, and you can argue the merits of this as well, the Hall of Fame is an American institution. Yes. The Rock Hall is, is very, it's through an American's perspective. Yeah. They don't say that, but it just kind of is. Yeah. And I, don't, and I don't think Crowded House has a big enough impact in America. I just think if you talk to the average person they could they could name don't dream it's over they could maybe name something so strong and then unless they were around in the 80s and they were like into it like a lot of those songs despite that some of them being some of my favorite songs of all time they just haven't had the staying power that i think is required for a hall of fame level act you make a good argument joe and, it, and i don't <laughs> want to make that argument because again like like I said, like it's they're one of my favorites, but it's just you have to remain objective. Yeah. And it's not just about being like, oh, well, they're great because someone will say that about every band. Right. Yeah. I mean, if it was a Joe and Mike Hall of Fame, it would be a different story. First class, crowded house. <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> it, have you gotten like any feedback from any of the artists that you've uh, talked about on the podcast at all? Um, not directly, but there have been a tweet or Early on, almost as a joke, we covered the band Toto. <laughs> and, you know, it, it was also a thing of like, when we first started the podcast, I was like, well, we don't want to burn through all the great artists up top. We should establish that maybe sometimes we'll do an artist that has no <laughs> fucking chance in hell. Uh, but it'll be interesting to like, you know, still go through the categories and see how they stack up. And so we had, uh, we had, covered toto years ago and then um our later when we joined a network of podcasts they would sometimes just kind of independently tweet out you know revisit this episode of the who cares about the rock hall and they would tag like the artists and stuff in it which we never did i don't know or it's you know not always celebratory right and uh, yeah, one of the, the guitarist, Steve Lukather. Steve Lukather, yeah. Yeah, who's like an amazing session musician. And that's one of the things we talked about in that episode is like, these guys are really, really solid on the work that's not Toto. And like Toto has some bangers, but like their, their, cool. most, vital, their most vital work is on other studio musicians right. or other artists. Um, but Lukather, like he, he definitely responded. I don't know if he listened to it, but it was just, I think he saw that there was a rock and roll hall of fame podcast talking about uh, Toto. And he was like, I forget exactly what he said, but it was something like, I mean, like I thought we were pretty good, but I never, it, it'll never happen. And I was like, Oh, you're not supposed to, you know, we weren't supposed to know about this. Right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Have to imagine saying, putting stuff out in the world and knowing that the people that you're talking about might eventually get wind of it can sometimes be a little, you know? Yeah. But I don't, I don't think, I, I, I get the sense that he didn't listen. And I don't think anyone, I do know my, a good friend of mine, uh, 
writes for Lip Sync Battle. And so she came on the podcast to talk about LL Cool J. And she knows LL Cool J. She works with him. Right. And, he, and she tagged him and he like, he like responded to the post. There's no way he listened to it. But like, it was kind of cool that he knew that we were talking about him. You know, you never know. LL could be like, uh, you know, in a trailer for CS, CSI, whatever the hell show NCIS. it is. NCIS. NCIS LA. You know, he's got his headphones on, listening to the podcast, you know, licking his lips. Licking his the... lips. <laughs> it could could be a real thing. You know could it happen? Yeah. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on it, but who knows? <laughs> so, switching from work stuff. Yes. You mentioned you have a girlfriend. Yes, I do. And uh, how long has this been going on? <laughs> uh, we, we will be celebrating a, a, you sound very accusatory. You sound like you know, <laughs> one, of my, one of my parents. Like, how long has this been going on? Why haven't I known about it? Uh, we will be celebrating a year in a week. All right, congratulations. Yeah, thank you so much. How has that sort of affected how you look at yourself? I mean, you just know. Just having a girlfriend, like how has that like... Having a girlfriend, having this specific girlfriend... Um, that's a very, that's a very good question. Yeah, because uh, relationships make you realize certain things about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, she, she's been very, you know, it, it's nice. And sometimes relationships aren't like this. And when, when you get a relationship like that, it can really, uh, make previous ones very clear, the issues with them. But like, we really like each other, which is like, it's, it's funny to think about like, other relationships you're like i don't think that person liked me <laughs> or i don't like or that. i didn't i never liked them right what the hell but no we, we really like each other um and that's that is very uh fulfilling and that can like you know fills you up um and to have someone who who believes in you uh by your side all the time is is really nice um and can let you recognize things about yourself that maybe you didn't before and then also in terms of like my own um we also we're we're communicative and and open with each other and so that has helped me like maybe if sometimes i am not you know just i'm naturally not as effusive or i'm just not uh communicating positive things to someone i think she has helped me to realize the importance of saying that kind of stuff to your partner and communicating because often I would think about communicating in a relationship meant talking to each other about problems, like talking to each other about issues that you're having. But communication also means like ask them how they're doing, you know, and make sure that they're good and, and tell them, uh, that you love them and tell them that, you know, the, the positive communication, which I think for a long time for me had just been like, Oh, that's assumed. Like we're dating. Obviously I like you. Obviously I just by talking to you, that should be the same as asking how you're doing, but it's not. Uh, and that this particular relationship has, I think helped me to come to realize that. And that's just like, now that is just like in me. And that's, I think, a, a good thing. That's a very good thing. I and mean, would you say that you're, you're, you're a dude? Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. But in terms of being like a dude, dude, you know, or sort of a more modern, like, sensitive dude. Like, yeah. I, yeah, I am, I am way, I am and always have been a sensitive young man. Um, and it's weird because that is culturally, you know, I, I grew up in the 90s or I was a kid in the 90s and like for w what that's worth. And I think it still probably exists to some extent today. But like, you know, I was like a, when I was a very young, I was a mama's boy w without a doubt. And I was, was, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this. I was quick to cry. <laughs> There's nothing you know, wrong I, with that. I as a I agree. And as a, as a very young, as a young boy, and that was kind of not literally, but it was beat out of me. Like I, the showing of emotion and the uh, sensitivity, you, it was hard to have that 
and be okay with it given our culture basically and what it is to be male right and so i i let i worked on getting that to go away and i think also some of that has to do with the fact that i am not a physically imposing guy i'm a pretty short guy so there's also a defense mechanism i think to like seeming tough so that people won't fuck with you right because already i'm a bit of a target on a very primal level because i'm small well how, how short are you joe i'm five five okay i just i mean i mean it yeah, no but it's still and i but i've been short my whole life so you know relative to you know where everybody else was and you know i i thinking about being a small sensitive kid and wanting to kind of protect myself i did develop a little bit of a um I developed like a pissed off um neutral face okay. <laughs> which was a few things it was one just like so that maybe i'm walking back from the bus stop nobody will fuck with me because there's a very there's a difference between being like kind of wide-eyed looking at the skies and like furrowed brow looking right, or you know skipping down the street with like a yeah. smile on your face you uh-huh know? You yeah. Got a big balloon. yeah <laughs> But there, so that was kind of developed and also maybe less of a uh, masculine thing, but more of just like an elitist thing was that I also didn't want people to think that I was absent-minded. Like, because that's another thing of like, yes, yeah, skipping down the block, just kind of looking at the skies. I wanted to seem, and this is probably the the creative in me, this is like the comedian or like dark poet in me is that I wanted people to think that I was in deep thought all the time and that I was maybe even a little bit tortured, um, which is, that's, that's a whole thing of like, I think that's very tied into the attention thing of like, and I, I did not really pinpoint the difference between good attention and bad attention for a while. Huh. And, uh I, so I, I liked the idea of people thinking I was weird in like middle school and high school and because I was getting the attention, but I didn't really understand that it was bad attention. Any attention was, was good. So like kind of brooding a lot and, I, and you know, thinking like, oh, everyone's going to think I'm so mysterious, <laughs> you know, because I'm just like, I'm deep in thought and like, who is this tortured genius and how do I, how do I know him? Meanwhile, but I, I the kids would, really thought. Yeah, like let's stay away from that weirdo. <laughs> yeah, why is he acting this so? This problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and but I would say that when I started to do stand up, and when I started to accept more that I was a performer, and an actor, and a writer, all those things. That's when I started to let myself have uh, like, let myself cry if, it, you know it if my body was telling me that and let myself be more in touch with my emotions. And then I would, I feel like I was able to crawl my way back into being probably now a hybrid, I guess, of those things of, you know, what I had trained myself to do and then what I had pulled myself out of. Is there still a tortured artist part of you that wants to be mysterious? Um, n- no, <laughs> I don't think so, but I do think there are things I developed in terms of my demeanor that still maybe reflect that sometimes just because it's like, it's a learned trait that sure. like with me now, yeah. you know, like my, my default face is sometimes that, and that's just, uh, I, I don't know that I can really, how much of that I can fix. Yeah, I'm just I'm curious as to what that expression looks like. I, I assume I've seen it at some point in the past hour. I'm kind. Of, it's kind of like this, like kind okay. of like arched, arched eyebrow. Eyebrows a little raised. Yeah, maybe. You know. That's just kind of like so, an. That's an. I'm tired of your shit face. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> it, and it's so funny because sometimes that is what is happening to me. Just kind of no emotion. What I think is no expression, and I'm just like looking at someone like. <laughs> and uh, yeah and i've had many throughout my life 
many people who thought I hated them uh, when I when I did not. Because I can all. see that being like, why is he mad at me? Mm-hmm. Or he doesn't or, like me. Or like I can be I can be pretty shy, and uh, sometimes that shyness with this face is misconstrued as being like pissed off or rude which is which is too bad and i wish and if i knew that at the time i would i would do something but sometimes i just kind of forget because i think i'm i'm just hanging out well you can't always help the way you look either i guess yeah yeah you know that makes sense or yeah or that i seem like overly serious when like i i'd like to think i'm a you're a comedian (laughs) yeah like i'm a silly man (laughs) you know but yeah i i think i do give off the impression that i'm and like when i've when I've learned that people were intimidated by me in any, in any circumstance, I'm always very uh, curious about that. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting thing to contemplate. I mean, you know, I think for a lot of people don't realize the way that they come off to other people. Like it's hard to ask somebody what's up next because right now, like, yeah, right. We're just in a weird fucking place. We don't know what's up next with uh, humanity. Right. right. So yeah. how, how can we really, but I am, so I want to do another dump of videos like I did with the 31 and I was working on doing that and I had done maybe half of it right when quarantine hit, yeah. right when the lockdown started. So we had to stop production and things have been on hold since then, but we are finally starting to figure out ways that we can resume like i've had to rewrite stuff i am now like a lot of stuff is just going to be me like me and the director um and so we're playing around with how we can start to make videos again and then hopefully very soon release them it's a big question mark but you know we're, we're getting creative and we're starting to get back to work so that's that's good so hopefully maybe you know, I'm being realistic. Early next year, I might have some more videos for the for the public. That's awesome. And what is the name of the Comedy Central special? So if you go to the Comedy Central, you search for my name, uh, Joe Quazala, K-W-A-C-Z-A-L-A. I feel and, like you've done that a lot of times, Joe. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Many. It's, yeah. Oh, yes. Um, so yeah, Comedy Central Stand Up Presents, and that's where, that's where you can find my twenty minutes of pure, unadulterated stand up comedy. <laughs> and I got one last question, uh, yes, which I'm please. just going to kind of pluck out of nowhere. Yeah, go what ahead. is what is the weirdest thing about living in LA after living in Chicago and Pittsburgh your whole life? Ooh, okay. I mean, like, I, I can give you, I, I can give you a few answers, I think, but like. Okay obviously obviously the craziest thing is like seeing adam scott at the gas station you know like just just, you know being about your business and then you know seeing a someone from the tv (laughs) you know some like the fact that jay leno could be in line with you at a sandwich shop is you you know new york has that i'm sure to some yeah. extent but like it's it feels like a very los angeles thing i mean and then also fucking earthquakes yeah see that's one of several reasons why i could never live on the west coast mm-hmm. i mean it's really not it's not like that i wouldn't call it that scary most earthquakes are over before you even realize they're happening truly where you're like it it feels like a low-flying helicopter it feels like a big truck driving by where you're like is that a oh is that a earthquake or you'll be like what's happening is it and then so you're like oh that was an earthquake we had like a big one last not not this year but last year's fourth of july we had one that maybe lasted for 30 seconds and it's not it's just enough where you're like oh i hope this doesn't get worse Here's what's going to happen. The day this drops, there's going to be the big one. And I'm going to seem like a real big idiot because I will have been crushed by my house. (laughs) But uh, no, I mean, for the most part, all the earthquakes feel very small. 
Beach sounds nice, but I think Joe is underplaying the whole earthquake thing. I don't ever want to be in a place where the ground moves and there's a threat of that. So you can have California. I'll keep New York, Joe. <laughs> but uh, much respect to Joe. Thank you for appearing on the show and thank you for speaking honestly. Joe Kuzali, y'all. His last name is spelled K-W-A-C-Z-A-L-A. Type him into YouTube and you will find a bunch of his comedy. Make sure you support him when he's back out on the road, when we're all allowed to be back on the road. Check out his podcast, Who Cares About the Rock Hall. It is on every podcast platform I know of. And uh, you can follow him on social media. He is on Twitter at JoeKJoeK, J-O-E-K-J-O-E-K. And he is on Instagram at Joe Kwa, that is J-O-E-K-W-A. So this podcast is all about helping men become better men, sharing stories, talking about being open and practicing, being truthful and honest and having feelings and all that good stuff, but done in a way that's maybe not so, I, I want to say obvious about it or or. It, I don't want it to feel like a, a, an after-school special or anything like that. It's just people conversing, trying to make the world a better place, trying to make themselves better people. So if you support that mission, if you want men to be better, better men, if you want people to be better people, make sure you rate, you subscribe, and you follow this podcast. Uh, we really appreciate your patronage. Uh, we appreciate you listening and spreading the word. I am on social media. Instagram is DetoxPodGuy. Twitter is TizMikeJoseph. You can email me, even because people still do that, by the way, at detoxpod at gmail.com. Look forward to hearing from you. If you have a guest that you'd like to suggest, if you want to be on the show yourself, just hit me up. I am here, and I am waiting for you, standing by the hotline, waiting for the phone to ring, so you can tell me, A, how much you love detoxicity, and B, how much you want to be on the show, or you know somebody who wants to be on the show, or you have constructive criticism, or whatever. I just love communicating with people, and uh, I'm not being sarcastic about that last part. <laughs> also not sarcastic about this as i record this we are still in the middle of the covid19 hellscape so i really really want to urge you to you know just protect yourself protect the others around you wear a mask uh, social distance do all that good stuff just in the name of empathy and being kind to one another it's important that we all stay safe and healthy so please do so thank you for listening